Hello and welcome to Marysville Church of Christ podcast. This is Heritage and my name is Bishop Darby. I'll be your host today. Last week we continued looking at one of the most influential schools in the history of Christianity, a school of Gamaliel taught by a high rabbi named Gamaliel whose teachings and legacy led three of his star pupils to leave the Jewish faith and become anchors in the Christian faith. Last week we talked about the first of the three, a man by the name of Aristobulus, a man whose legacy can be traced even till today and who forever changed the course of Christian history. But what is amazing is out of the three, perhaps he was the one who was least known. Today we're going to talk about his younger brother, a young man by the name of Joseph. See, Joseph and Aristobulus, obviously, had the same upbringing. Both of them came from a wealthy family in Cyprus. Much of the land that, and much of the business dealings would have gone through their family. And from a young age, Joseph showed remarkable acumen in business. He had a smile that could light up a room, a quick wit, and an intellect that, that separated him from just about everyone else. But much to the parent's chagrin, from a young age, Joseph didn't really want to do the family business. He didn't want to carry on uh, their legacy in that way. Instead, he had his eyes set on the world of academics. We have records that even from 10, 11, 12 years old, he was writing homilies, that is, weekly sermons, for the local synagogue. He was so intelligent and so bright. What he specialized in writing was systematic theologies. That's just a really fancy way of saying he would break down religion, their history, these complex ideas, and he would paint these pictures that people could relate to and understand. And he was so gifted at it that it wasn't long before one of the local leaders of the synagogue suggested that he go to Jerusalem and he take a class to become a rabbi in his own right. And not only did he accept, but he got accepted to the most prestigious school in Jerusalem, Gamaliel's Rabbi School. From day one, he separated himself from his students in many ways. Gamaliel saw in this young child this ability to think quickly on his feet. He had just a general persona. He walked into a room and everyone wanted to be with him. He could laugh and everyone would laugh with him. He had a smile that was contagious. He was silver-tongued. He could get himself out of any trouble that he may get himself into, and that would have been a lot. And he was just a lovable guy. In fact, one of the most lovable students he ever had. But the same could not be said of his best friend, a young, poor tent maker named Saul. Though being the same age, it just seemed that Joseph and Saul were different in about every possible way. Joseph was funny, charismatic, outgoing, personable. He was kind of a rascal, loved to make jokes. And Saul was serious and solemn, intense and focused. Both of them would have been top of the class, but in different ways. Saul's brain unparalleled in his ability to con contemplate deep philosophy. And Joseph was just the best order in the class. He could teach anyone anything. 
as this time in the school uh, came to an end, both of them had bright futures. Both of them were going to work in different places. Immediately, Saul took up the legacy of the Zealots, a group of people who were predicated and and, uh, focused on eradicating and purging the Jewish faith of those things that were contrary, those things that were holding them back. But Joseph didn't have the same passion. No, Joseph was totally satisfied sitting and writing, reading and studying. And so he chose to stay in Jerusalem, to stay at a local synagogue, to write and deliver homilies on Sundays, excuse me, on Saturdays, and to work on making sure that everyone understood the deeper parts of theology. His idea was he's going to take the highfalutin, educated, academic side of Judaism, and he's going to bring it to the everyday person. But it wasn't long until around the year 33 AD, his brother Aristobulus kind of disappeared for a while. And when he returned, he had this new message this message that said the Messiah had come, the, the Messiah that Joseph had longed for. And not only had he come, but he was Jesus of Nazareth. Immediately at that point, Joseph's eyes would have dilated, his face would have turned red, because Joseph had heard the rumors of this evil, maniacal man who was subverting the, the synagogue and overthrowing Judaism. But after several weeks of studying, Aristobulus convinced Joseph on the power of Jesus. And not only that, but there are many who believe that Joseph actually saw Jesus in the flesh before he died. Soon after the crucifixion of Christ, Joseph joined the Jerusalem church. He would meet with them daily, feeding and caring for them, using his business acumen to support them financially, while on all at the same time still teaching and writing for the synagogue. It was clear early on, however, that the Jerusalem church was dealing with financial struggles that were going to end it. And so he did the unthinkable. He sold all of his property holdings on Cyprus, his homeland, all the business relations he had, and he gave all the money to the Jerusalem church. It is a contribution so big and so great that it would sustain them for several years until Saul could bring another sizable amount of money back. While he was in Jerusalem, he kind of became the preacher of the church there, despite the fact that there were several other apostles of good renown, of which one of them was Peter. It became very clear that Barnabas was the best. Joseph was the most talented. It was also during this time that his actions renamed him, Joseph, to Barnabas, which means sons of compassion, someone who cared so much for every person. While he was there in Jerusalem, an old rumor began to spread about this tyrannical Jew by the name of Saul who was persecuting and killing Christians. And immediately, Joseph and or Barnabas now knew exactly who they were talking about, his best friend. From years of old. For several weeks, Saul would have terrorized the countryside while Joseph slash Barnabas would have been sitting in Jerusalem contemplating and praying what to do to save his best friend. But one day, an even crazier message began to come, a message that said that he had converted to Christianity and began to teach the message of Jesus. 
At this time, Barnabas immediately went out and found him. And when he verified that it was true, he defended him, standing beside his friend regardless of the accusations made and refusing, refusing to let Paul be forgotten or overlooked. He saw the potential in this young man, a potential that could change the world as he knew it, and he did not stop even going toe-to-toe with people like James, the brother of Jesus, and Peter, the head apostle. He did not care who he needed to stand against as long as they knew that this Saul from Tarsus could change the world. After the church accepted Saul and his conversion, Saul went back to tent-making in Tarsus, while Barnabas went on to Antioch to create the church of Antioch and preached there for some time. When an opportunity arose for him to continue his mission in a new place, he knew exactly who he wanted to call. And so he reached out to Saul and asked him to leave his tent-making business and join him on missionary journeys. And Saul, from what we see from the historical record, was less than thrilled. In fact, it took him some coercing in order for, for Barnabas to convince Saul to become a missionary with him. But eventually Saul accepted the job of position, uh, position assistant, and he left. And they would spend some time together before a rift finally separated them. Along the way, it became very clear that though Barnabas was handsome, and though Barnabas was wealthy, and though Barnabas had the charisma, there was something special about Saul, something different, and something that needed to be nurtured and fostered. It became clear at a local island, a story we'll come back to over the next couple of weeks, when the people called Barnabas Zeus, but Saul Hermes. And eventually, Barnabas handed over the reins to his missionary journeys to Saul, allowing him to be the lead, while Barnabas went a different direction. But as was mentioned earlier, a rift split them apart And eventually they found themselves doing different things. Barnabas would go on to work with the Apostle Andrew, his brother Aristobulus, a guy by the name of Polycarp, who we talked about several weeks ago, and all the while wrote a variety of books and documents, of which most notably is probably the Book of Hebrews, who most of the early writers believe um, Barnabas wrote. It was during a dream when he was in the city of Antioch that he was to return home to Cyprus, And he was going to try to convert his family there. So he arrived and spent several weeks teaching at a synagogue, doing normal lectures like he had done before on the normal flow of the normal rhythm of Judaism. Creation, exodus, kings, fall, exile, Messiah. But when he got to Messiah, he introduced Jesus. And he had so much success that almost the entire synagogue converted to Christianity, enraging the elite. Enraging him so much that while he was in the act of baptizing people at that church, they drug him through the streets and then stoned him, killing him after an act of torture. John Mark, his cousin, a guy we will return to, interred the body. But where he chose to bury Barnabas was beautiful. He took him back to the same carob tree, the tree that he would have learned Judaism under, the tree that Barnabas would have started his academic journal with a local rabbi, the same tree that he would have first heard the message of the prophets and the coming of the Messiah, 
the same tree that he would have heard the promises of the king that is to come. John Mark buried him there. And in his hands, he put a old, one of the oldest manuscripts we have of the Gospel of Matthew. Wrapping his arms around that gospel, holding it close to his chest. Years later, centuries later, Anthemios, who was the Archbishop of Cyprus, allegedly had Barnabas come to him in a dream, telling him where he was buried. And so Anthemios came and dug up under the carob tree there in Cyprus and found his, his sepulcher. And when he ripped off the base, he saw the bones and remains of Barnabas with his hands still clutched over an old manuscript of Matthew. Anthemios would take that manuscript of Matthew all the way to the emperor Zeno, who would revere it and preserve it, and we still have it today. It's amazing how he died, how he lived, under the tree of learning, holding close to the message that changed his life. A message that he held even in death, and a message that he gave new life to even after he was gone. Barnabas's heritage, his story, is so intertwined with ours. From the Levite in Cyprus to clutching a gospel of Matthew in death. We are forever changed by his story, and we are forever shaped in his heritage.